First Baptist Church on your Sunday morning. So happy that you're with us. Uh, I want to go ahead and get started uh, right off the bat. So if you would, please join us in prayer. God, we love you and we thank you. We ask you to provide for us, Lord, in this moment. We ask you to provide for us in wisdom and truth. God, help us to understand what you're, you're saying to us in your word. And God, I pray that you would communicate that message to us in the words that you give me to speak, Lord. And of course, through your mighty word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start out today by reading in Matthew chapter 21. Now, before this whole pandemic started and before um, actually Advent and, and Christmas and everything, we were in our study of uh, the book of Matthew. So I'm going to continue in that. And so uh, over the next uh, several weeks and over the next couple months, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to navigate through Matthew to continue on through Matthew and our study of Matthew. And then I'm also going to throw in some, some standalone sermons, uh, you know, uh, mixed up in between uh, just for some uh, little, little different variety and things like that. But um, I don't want us to... Uh, I don't want us to put off our study in Matthew. I want us to continue on through it so that we can uh, get through the book and uh, see exactly what the Lord does and uh, what he's telling us uh, through the rest of these uh, uh, verses of Scripture. Now, one of the most beautiful things about studying the Bible, going verse by verse through it, we call it exegesis. So it's basically we're exegeting or we're um, bringing the text and, 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 and then we're taking out of the text what uh, the truth of God is, what he's telling us, and then um, I'm basically laying that before you uh, so that we can know um, what's God saying? What's he doing? Uh, what does that mean for us? And, and most importantly, what does that mean about God? What does that say about him? And how can we get to know him better through the word that he's given? So let's dive right in. We're going to start in verse 12 of Matthew 21. Um, I'm going to start in verse 12 and we'll um, begin our reading here. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out, out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he received a king's welcome. And that's something that we read about um, if, if we did our study and, and we read about Jesus and Holy Week and how that started. We know that that starts on, on Palm Sunday um, historically, and which is the Sunday before the resurrection, and which really kicks off all of Holy Week and everything that Jesus does there in preparing for us um, so that we could receive the grace of God um, uh, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross so that we might be saved if we believed in Jesus. Now, um, he rode into Jerusalem and he received a king's welcome during that time. This is when they, they spread palm branches, uh, palm leaves all over the road. They put their clothes on the road. I'm going to uh, reference that here in just a second. But um, and actually, yeah, let's, let's go to Matthew 21 and verse 6. So they'd, they'd cut palm leaves. They were placing those over the street. They were shouting Hosanna. And verse 6 says, The disciples 
went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, as we see here, there's yet another group of people that are amazed um, and mesmerized just at the sight of Jesus coming into their midst. He was approaching, he was entering into the city as they were beside themselves as he was entering, they were, they were just beside themselves. They were, they were going nuts. Hosanna, Hosanna. And he was led in on a donkey and a colt, the, the scripture says. So he rode into the city as the king that he would always be. And he was one who instructs. And the king that he would be was one who teaches and loves and protects and imparts wisdom. Who puts things into order. Who knows the end from the beginning and sees his people through all of this. Because what we need as his people is, is we need instruction in our day-to-day lives as we go through it. One of the reasons we all go to church, we all attend church services or, or watch any, any, any messages or sermons online is because we need help and we're looking for answers. And the good thing is that we're looking for answers where answers can't be gotten, which is in Jesus. And so that's something that we need to look forward to and that we're always looking for, but that Jesus always provides. He, he provides for his people through all of this. But the people wanted something different at this point in time. They weren't just looking to see, okay, how am I supposed to live my life day to day? Now, they had instruction in that regard because they were, uh, especially the Jews, or or namely the Jews, they were attending temple, and so they had their teaching from the Pharisees. Um, But they were looking for something different. They weren't looking for a day-to-day living sort of teaching. They wanted a king. They wanted somebody who was going to lead them from the oppression that they were under. In fact, we can see how different they wanted him to be, that we see them fawning over him. And when this is something that he did not ask for, they did it anyway. He, he didn't come in and say, hey, listen, I need y'all to make a little celebration for me. I'm about to ride in on a donkey. As soon as you see me, go ahead and set it up. Y'all start throwing things. Everybody starts screaming. That way everybody knows who I am. See, Jesus didn't do that. That's not the way he approached life. These things happened, they transpired before his eyes, although he did not ask for them. He didn't ask for them to fawn over him. You see, this was a false coronation of a king. They were trying to crown him then and there, and it's not something that he wanted for them to do. He didn't ask for it. They were excited to see him, the king who would free them from the Roman oppression. This is who they were looking for. They were looking for a king that would free them from the pain of the day and give them a future kingdom right then and there. When they saw him riding in on the donkey or the, and, and, and the, the colt, right? They, they were, oh, he's here. He's here. Finally, we're free. This is what they were thinking. And so they were looking for a military leader, though. One who would summon his army to defeat anyone who got into their way so that they could live free and be freed from the oppression and so that they could prosper in the land. But, but see, Jesus, when he rode in, they should have known when he rode in on the donkey that he was coming in humility, that he was coming in unlike any other king that they would ever know, any other king they had ever seen. He wasn't entering into the city as a military leader. 
He wasn't riding in on a war chariot. He rode in on a donkey and its colt. He didn't ride in with body armor and a shield and a helmet on and a sword drawn to begin his onslaught of the enemy right before their eyes. He didn't do that. He rode in on a donkey and a colt. Because he rode in in meekness. He rode in, in humility. Knowing how feeble the human mind is. And he knows the limitations of our own hearts to see past the pain and our opinions of the times. It's hard for us to do that. And he knows we can't see past the pain of the day. We can't see past the limitations of our own minds. We can't see past our own opinions. But the Lord knows that. And so he knows very well what's going on here. You see, the reason God does things in our lives or the reason that he does things at all is, is hard for the human mind to see because we get in our own way. We see what we want to see. Don't you find that true about life? You see what you want to see. I see what I want to see. A lot of times we see what we want to see because we're too afraid to deal with the fact that we might not be seeing what we want to see. And if it's anything different than what we want to see, we tend to shut it out and say, no, that can't be it. This has to be what I've been waiting for. We see what we want to see. We let all of our stuff and our opinion and our pain and our struggle, we let it all get in the way so that we see what we want to see instead of seeing the truth right before our eyes unfolding so that we can know the truth about the kingdom of God and who God really is. Jesus came to show them who he was, but they saw what they wanted to see. You see, unless we're in Christ with our minds and hearts changed and focused on him, we will always just see what we want to see and I want to encourage you away from that today, church. Don't just see what you want to see. Investigate and find the truth and see what God wants you to see. You see, our own opinions, our own thoughts on things in our lives and in the world are made in our past. They're made in the past experiences that have led us into these moments that we stand in now. All of the things that we think all of those formulations that we make in our brain to tell us about what's happening in this moment, what am I seeing right before my eyes right now, all of those decisions, all of those opinions, those thoughts, they're made in our past. They're built upon the experiences that we've already had in life because we bring it all into the future and we bring it all into the present, excuse me. And this is the truth for us all, that our past and our emotional state at the time that we encounter anything informs our thoughts and opinions on what we see right in front of us. And I want to encourage you away from that, church. Not always to let your past experiences and the emotions that you're experiencing right now, for, don't let all that form your opinion on what you see. Let God inform you of the truth of what's right before your eyes. You see, we pull from the past, which Jesus does, but when Jesus does it, it's better. He pulls from prophecy, from the word of God, from his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He pulls from his knowledge of the Romans and the Jews and every other thing in all of creations. But our minds don't work like this. We don't pull from scripture when we're pulling uh, from our past to inform us about our present or even to give us hope about our future. We don't pull from the scripture. We don't pull from the word of God. As human beings, we tend to pull just from our own lives and from the lives of people around us. In other words, we're pulling from the experience of life in the world. And that can lead us astray 
Because the experiences that we have in life are not always godly experiences. For instance, getting hurt in your past can lead you into today, can lead you into the present to tell you, I can't trust people. I don't need to trust people. I don't want to trust people because the last time I trusted somebody, I was hurt. And I can't get hurt like that again because that ruins my life. So I won't trust anymore. I won't let anyone else in. That's pulling from our past experience and the emotion of the day. That's pulling from the past. That's not pulling from the word of God, which tells us that we are to be forgiving, that we are to, to, to dispense grace, that we are to be merciful, that we are supposed to love underneath it all. That's where we should pull from. But as human beings, we are dragged down by the flesh and our own sinful nature. So what happens, right? What happens? We pull from our past. We pull from our emotions. We pull from whatever it is we're experiencing in the moment. What happens when you get in an argument, church? When you get into an argument with somebody? Now, history might tell you that you say things that you don't mean. Do you say things you don't mean when you argue? Why do you say things you don't mean? Things you wish you could take back. Maybe you mean them, but you just didn't want to say them because you didn't want somebody to know that you were actually thinking that or that you believe that about them. Why do we do that? We do that because of the emotions we're experiencing in the moment. When we're angry, we act out of anger. When we're angry, we act out of pride because we say, you're not going to get the best of me. I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm going to tell you where to go and how to get there, baby. That's what we do. We pull from anger. We pull from the emotion of the moment. In order for us to make decisions and have thoughts and opinions on this moment, we pull from our emotions. We pull from the baggage of the past. When God is telling us all the while, do not pull from yourself for the answers, y'all. Pull from God. Pull from the Word. Pull from the wisdom that's freely, that's freely given to you in Jesus Christ. You see, we have to be changed to enter into His presence. Because our minds don't work like His. While we're in the flesh, in this world, our minds don't work like His. And so we have to be changed in order to be in his presence. And in order to put on the mind of Christ, right? We have to be changed. And God bless, God bless, God bless the fact that that's the truth in Jesus Christ, that we are changed. Amen. Listen to verses four through six. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So he came in humbled. So this is telling us that the reason why he came in the way that he did when he entered into the city, he came in humbled in order to fulfill the scripture. He's different than we thought he was. He's not in coming in on a war chariot. He's not coming in with the army behind him. He's coming in with his disciples, but coming in in humility to fulfill, description, uh, to fulfill the scripture because he's different. He's different than they thought he was. And though he came in writing in humility, he came in with a purpose. And I want you to know that about your life, church, that everything that you, should, that you do in your life should have purpose behind it. Everything that you do. Don't do things without... Listen, I talked to my son about this actually um, and, and I tell him, I ask him, Elijah, why, why did you just do that? You know, I ask him questions about what he does and why he does them. 
And a lot of times he just answers me because he's only eight. So he's like, I don't know. I said, well, that's, you know, let, let, let's, let's, let's take a little dive and find out why you're doing what you're doing. Because I want you to have purpose behind everything that you do. Because when we have purpose, then we can be wrapped up, wrapped up in the beauty of all that God has because he has purpose. So we can become like Christ if we have purpose in everything that we do. So Jesus came in and when he came in, he had purpose behind it. He came to fulfill what was written about him. He came to establish his authority and he came to set straight what had been made crooked by the enemy and by the world. We had sinned in this world. We had, led, uh, we had been led astray and led others astray. We ourselves, we lead ourselves astray. We don't need anybody else's help to be led astray. We can do that all on our own, right? But he came in to set straight what had been made crooked. And though he came in in humility, he wouldn't stand for the desecration of the temple. And that's what we see here. He would not stand Stand by silently while the temple was being desecrated. And let's not forget that he rode into Jerusalem. He received the praise, albeit a false coronation of the king coming in glory. This would not be his actual coronation because he already had his crown. He already had his crown. He humbled himself to take or to come to the earth. He humbled himself to come to the earth and to die to save sinners from damnation if we would believe in him. This can be uh, seen as, as we read in, in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Now, I want you to read that, but just to summarize, in that passage, the Apostle Paul tells us that we should follow Christ's example to humble ourselves and to count others as more significant than ourselves. Can we do that? Can you count others as more significant than yourself? Man, y'all, I'll tell you what. If you've lived any, any period of time, you know that one's hard. Because you are usually all you think about. We are selfish by nature, okay? I'm not immune to that. Neither are you. None of us are. But the grace of God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. And once we believe, we are changed changed human beings, now alive by the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit of God, who shows us the clearest picture that we will ever see of what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false, so that we can follow him into the truth. You see, Jesus entered the temple that day, and as he did, he went and he looked at what was going on, and, and, and he despised the very sight of it at the temple. He despised the sight of it because of, uh, because of what it meant about the hearts of the men and women who were there that day. They had been deceived and they were being deceiving. They were buying and selling dishonestly. Now the people uh, there, they weren't worshiping the God of glory. And this is what Jesus calls them to. He calls them back to prayer, back to worship as he turns over the tables. But they were deceptively and dishonestly making money there in the temple, selling things and buying things in order for worship, for, uh, you know, for sacrifice and things of this nature. This is not God's design. Our, uh, God's design. It's, it's not. Our opportunity in this life, in the kingdom, is not to get rich or gain anything in life dishonestly. That is not our opportunity in life. That's the enemy's opportunity for you. That's the world's opportunity for you. But your opportunity from God is to come close to God, is to worship. Worship God in spirit and truth. That's your opportunity. It's to pray, 
to seek and to love underneath it all. Again, our opportunity is to humble ourselves and consider other people as more significant than ourselves. And this life with God is a life that we should live in humility. Absolute humility. Knowing that He is God and we are not. Knowing that He is high and lifted up and we are not. Knowing that He is magnificent and that we are lowly. Knowing that He has all the answers and that we need those answers. And knowing that He has salvation. And knowing that we need that in order to be with Him. Our place is not puffed up in pride before our King. Our price is humbled and submitted at His feet. Our place is to approach Him in humility. And as we do that, we can approach Him in confidence, knowing that we can come close to the throne because we've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this life with God is a, is a life that we should live in humility. And in order to do this, we need to know who God is. We need to know who He is. And we need to worship God in spirit and truth. All right, now back to Matthew 21 and verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now this passage today, telling of Jesus turning over tables and, and, and the seats of those dishonestly gaining while they are dying on the inside is a spiritual rebuke from Jesus for the people, okay? That's like him spiritually rebuking us when we're doing something wrong. He's doing it in, in, in real time, in that moment, excuse me, in the temple, now, they wanted him to be a militant king. They wanted him to be a, a military leader of sorts, but he did not storm the gates of the city. He did not storm the gates of the palace of the emperor. Instead, he went straight to the temple. Think about that. He rides in, right? He rides into Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem and storm the city gates, storm the palace. He doesn't do those things he rides in and he goes to the temple because he's a different kind of king. He's the king, not the king they want, but he's the king we need. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, I don't want this to get lost on us. Jesus Christ, he's the king of the spiritual kingdom of God that he came to declare to the people. And this is something that we need to know to grow our understanding of who Jesus is, that he is righteously angry at what they've turned the temple into. Righteously angry. Righteously angry. In other words, his anger is justified. It's justified by his own righteousness. It knows what perfection is, knows knows what God wants, what he deserves, and knows that that's not what he's seeing right before his eyes. In fact, he's seeing something quite different. And it's not just what he's seeing with his physical eyes right in front of him, the buying and selling. It's what he knows is going on because he knows the hearts of the people that are undertaking these dealings. 
He says that it's, it's written that his house is to be a house of prayer and they've turned it into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. They steal from people, misrepresent what they sell. They cheat themselves out of a relationship with God in the process that they desperately need to live. Let me ask you something, y'all. Do you need a relationship with God in order to live today? Do you need that in order to go on, go through your day? Do you need a relationship with God? Are you saying, God, I can't live today without you? Because I, I hope that you are. I hope that's the condition and the posture of your heart every single moment of every day, knowing how much you need God and knowing that every step that you take away from Him is, is, is separating you from that perfection that He wants you to experience in glory with Him once and for all. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and come in humility as he came into the city. But you see, the, the temple, it should represent life and holiness and love and worship. And it's where they are to gather to worship and to pray. Instead, it's become something completely different. It's an earthly place set apart for the glory of God to be with God, the temple but the people have turned it into something far different little by little over time so that it doesn't even represent what it's supposed to represent. It's actually something different than what it was made to do or made to be. This happens in the church today as well. When we let our own desires and our own design enter into the church, no matter the reasoning, no matter the reasoning, when we let this in, then we have let it become a den of thieves. We have... We, we have to take care that we don't compromise who we are as we seek to spread the gospel to the world. We need to know what angers God so that we can live right before His eyes. Live in right standing with Him before His eyes. It's also good for our own individual growth as we can now confess, ask forgiveness, and repent of that life if we are living it. And now... We see others who are there, no doubt, that, that need real help. And of course, in his glorious fashion, Jesus is there to help. And these others that we see who are there that need real help, listen to this. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Again, this is Matthew 21 in verse 14. And now verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And then leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Again, out of the mouth of infants, and nursing babies. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. This is pretty amazing because this is Jesus pointing to himself as that one who has the authority and position to be able to receive that praise. Because I'll tell you what, like people can praise anyone they want, but if it's, if it's not their authority and, and their position to receive that praise then it's not real praise and it doesn't mean anything. Like if somebody came in and started praising me as the king and all this other stuff, I'd be like, oh, you talking to me? 
Like, that, that ain't me. There's no way I could receive that kind of praise because that ain't me. That, that, that's pretty far from me. I mean, in fact, I'm nothing like that. And if I came and did the same thing to you, oh, you know, and I, I came in and started, as soon as you came out of your house in the morning, there was palm leaves on the, and clothes on the floor. Oh, come out, come out, you know, and praising you for who you are, calling you the king or the queen for that matter. What women, you'd be like, well, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing here, man? You know that there's no way possible that you could receive that because that's not who you are. We can praise anybody we want to in this life, truth be told. We have the, the, the freedom of, of choice to speak the words that we want to speak, especially here in the United States. We can say anything we want to say, but that doesn't mean it's true. And I want you to know that, that no matter what anybody says, it has to be true in order to consider it true. People can make points that are valid that are also not true, okay? Everybody's points are valid. It's just one of the, that's one of the fundamentals of, of, of argument and, and, uh, and, and philosophy and ethic and, and discourse is, is that we can have valid points, but those points can, while they're valid, not also they can, they can not be true at the same time. We have to be able to uh, support the truth or valid points that we make with uh, uh, a successful argument by um, laying forth incredible facts that support the point that we're making. Well, this is what Jesus does through fulfilling Scripture and fulfilling prophecy is He's giving us the facts that we need. He's giving us the information that we need in order to say, yes, He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And so His point's not valid anymore. It's true. But this is Jesus pointing to himself as that one who has the authority and position to be able to receive that praise. He can receive the praise because this is who he is. Now the Pharisees know that the only one who receives praise is God himself. So Jesus, he's pointing to himself as God. And now they're really angry because of this. They're in, are, they are indignant, the text says, even the children, the lowest among them, were crying out praises to him out of under the influence of the Jewish religious elite. They were free to see Jesus as the Lord and praise him for who he is and praise him in public. You see, the chief priests and scribes, they, they couldn't take it. The, this, the, the outward display of praise from the people that they needed to control, it was just too much for their flesh to handle. They just couldn't take it. Why is this man getting all this praise? Why are these people looking to him like this? Why can't they look at me like that? They used to look at me like that, and now this man's come in, and he's changed everything. He's taking over, and we've got to stop him. This is their mindset they wanted to kill him. And we know in a week's time from here, they do. Now the temple of the Lord, now since Jesus has come and fulfilled the law and the prophets, the temple now, Jesus has come, fulfilled the law and the prophets. What's the temple now? What's the temple? Anybody know what the temple is? Right? The temple is the church. Because the body also, the, 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 the scripture also says that, that our bodies now are the, the new temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. That is powerful, powerful stuff. 
I want to read this to you. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Church, that's for you. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Think about that truth. Think about that little nugget of information, y'all. Did you not know? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the new temple, church. What's more is that Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 27 says that he gave himself up for the church to cleanse us up so that he could present us holy and blameless. That he washes us with water, with the word. Oh, the Lord is doing something incredible among his people. And more than, uh, the, the, uh, more than that, this is the new gathering place of God. It is the church. The new gathering place of God is the church. It is the people of God. More than anything, this speaks to us directly about our own lives, y'all. Has your life become a den of thieves? Your family life, your work life, your going out to the supermarket life. Has it become a den of thieves? Do you misrepresent your own interests and desires to others? And do you misrepresent your own interests and desires to God? Are you just playing the part? Or are you really His? Who do you really live for? Who do you really live for? Who are we going to be today? Who are you going to be today? I pray that you're Christ's, that you're His. You see, these are good questions for us to be asking ourselves on a daily basis. And they're great questions that the Lord Himself asks of us throughout the Scripture as He unfolds His life right before our eyes to show us the most excellent way. The Lord does not want us to be under any illusions about who we really are. He doesn't want us to be under any illusions about who we belong to. He wants us to know who we belong to. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know who He is. Let us together as the new temple of the Holy Spirit, as the people of God, the church, let us love God and live for God every moment of every day. As Jesus comes into your life, will he overturn the tables and the seats because you're misrepresenting who you really are? Or is Jesus coming in to call you close, bring you in, as you come to him in humility so that we could be more and more like him every moment of every day.
Let's pray. God, we love you. We ask, God, that you would change us, Lord. Jesus, we ask first that you would save us, that you would lead us to yourself. Father, that you would call, that you would give us to Jesus. Christ, that you would lose none of those of everyone you have been given. As you tell us in John 6, Lord, that we would be yours, that you would give us the promised indwelling Holy Spirit that would be a, a, a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance, Lord. That we would know you and love you more than life itself. That we would love you, Lord. God, I pray that you would change us. Make us more like you. Help us to see the truth about who we are and who you are, God. Lord, we need you here, today, now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ before today, I pray that you would do so. I pray that you would give him everything that you are, that you would finally turn your life over to him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you profess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. And I pray that that salvation is yours. Because God says it's a free gift. All you got to do is receive it. I pray that you give your life to Jesus. Give him your all. And if you're here today and you want to rededicate your life because you've walked away from God, walked far away, maybe walked a little bit away. You see, oh, I've just, I've just slipped a little bit, no matter how much you slipped, whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot. I want you to know that you can rededicate your life to Jesus Christ today in prayer. Ask him to change you. Ask him to bring you back to walk that narrow path and to live for him for your desires to be, to be completely changed, that you would want to walk for him and him alone. If that's you, we are praying for you and we'd love to hear about those decisions as well. Please don't hesitate to email us through our website, firstbaptistap.com. Email us, contact us, let us know how we can pray for you. We love you so much, so much. God bless you and have an awesome week.